It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCW in Sitka. Today is Monday, May 24th. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. The news that a bill allowing cruise ships to sail to Alaska later this summer is both a welcome surprise and unexpected challenge for the people running Sitka's port. The problem? The number of ships and the number of passengers coming in July remain big question marks, and the summer season is already underway. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. It was only just a short while ago, May 4th, that Senator Dan Sullivan was in Sitka bearing bad news. The Alaska Tourism Restoration Act had failed to win unanimous consent in the United States Senate, and there was no telling when it might return for another vote. Giving a break to foreign-flagged cruise companies has never been an especially popular idea in Washington, D.C. Your point about not having a, a lot of friends is pretty good description of a lot of what goes on in the Congress. What may have changed in the meantime is that Sullivan, his Senate colleague Lisa Murkowski, and Congressman Don Young somehow succeeded in making this a bill more about helping Alaskans rather than helping cruise lines, and it won passage. Once President Biden puts his pen to it, the ships will be able to sail directly between Seattle and Alaska without an interim stop in Canada to comply with the 135-year-old Passenger Vessel Services Act. The question is, now what? Till I see the bow of the ship, I, I don't know. Fred Reeder is the Sitka port manager for the Cruise Line Agencies of Alaska. Governor Mike Dunleavy on May 21st issued a news release announcing the return of Princess, Carnival, and Holland America cruise lines to the Alaska market beginning near the end of July. Although Reader may be just a little bit skeptical that the cruise lines will be able to sell berths and staff their huge ships in less than two months' time, he doesn't see any reason not to share Governor Dunleavy's outlook. I guess I'm as optimistic as the governor, so if he says we're going to have cruise ships, we might you know, it gives me some hope that we might have some. Reader's staff for the summer is already in place. In Sitka, it's himself and one other person in the office and two security guards. This is how many he needs to manage the smaller ships calling in Sitka, those with fewer than 200 passengers which were never affected by Canada's port closures. In a non-pandemic year, he might have two to three times that number to transport crew members boarding or leaving ships in Sitka. But he doesn't see the need this year. I think once they get their crew on board and they've all been tested, I would assume that they're not going to do a lot of switching of crew around. Readers' flexibility isn't shared by the Sitka Cruise Terminal, Sitka's privately owned cruise ship dock. Owner Chris McGraw launched a major expansion of his facility a couple of years ago, but slowed work down when 2021 looked like it was going to be another summer without ships. The passage of the bill has caused him to step up the pace. We're not quite done yet, but uh, now we're going to basically make sure we put the manpower on it and have everything wrapped up here in the next few weeks. McGraw says that cruise lines began booking passengers shortly after the Alaska Tourism Restoration Act passed both houses of Congress and that he's confident Sitka will see ships this summer. What he's not so confident about is what those passengers will see when they land at his terminal. The mall-like structure will be done, but all the vendors and attractions won't be there yet. As far as our development complex out here, a lot of the spaces won't be finished on the inside. You know, like the restaurant won't be open, um, and so passengers will see an empty space. And I think they'll they'll realize that 
That's probably because of COVID. McGraw says industry officials have been unable to tell him how many guests they'll be bringing to his port. Nevertheless, he'll be trying to increase his staff to accommodate them, a hiring process that normally takes place in the winter. Despite the challenges, shore agent Fred Reeder is upbeat that cruise ships appear likely to make a comeback in Sitka this summer. It's a sign that we're getting through all this, he says, and he likens it to the feeling of getting vaccinated. A burden was lifted that I didn't know I had. And as a former mayor and school board president, Reader is excited to share his town. Seeing visitors, people enjoying what we see every day is, is a good thing. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Canadian and American officials were positive and had some kumbaya moments in the Dunleavy administration's first public meeting. They met to discuss B.C. mines and watersheds that feed southeast Alaska rivers. But as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, critics say the two sides aren't making enough progress in developing clear plans to clean up long-abandoned mines or police new ones. Alaska's top environmental regulators held a cross-border Zoom session May 19th with British Columbia officials in charge of permitting mines. I think as everybody knows of why we're here today is this area is called the Golden Triangle for a reason. That's Peter Robb, an official with BC's Mining Ministry, pointing out an area in the province's northwest. There is lots of exploration, lots of potential in in these rocks, and we will continue to see that exploration and development, and we want to work with our Indigenous partners to to build what that future looks like. Beyond holding promising mining prospects, the Golden Triangle is also on the headwaters of major salmon-producing rivers in southeast Alaska, like the Stikeen and Taku. Officials from both sides presented their findings from a two-year water monitoring study on three transboundary rivers, which they reiterated showed no exceedances on Alaska's side of the boundary. Tribes and others criticized the joint decision to wrap up their work after two years, But Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation's Terry Lomax says there's already monitoring being done by Alaska tribes, Canadian First Nations, the U.S. government, and mining companies themselves. So we really felt like when looking at all that as a whole, we really trusted the data that was coming in and there was no need for additional monitoring from the state of Alaska and British Columbia. Efforts are continuing to finally clean up the long-shuttered Tulsaqua Chief Mine. BC's Deputy Chief of Abandoned Mines, Diane Howe, described a year-old remediation plan. She spoke of eventually using water to fill the former metal mine's underground complex. By flooding this area, we are going to cut off the oxygen to this area, which is the main culprit for causing the ARD. ARD is acid rock drainage. For decades, this red and orange acidic sludge has been leaching into a tributary of the Taku River about 10 miles upstream from the border. Provincial officials have been prepping a $37 million plan for the former mine, whose owners have not cleaned it up. Alaska officials applauded the preparatory work so far. Here's Doug Vincent Lang, commissioner of the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. I know this has been a sore spot between the U.S. and Canada for years, but we're we're very pleased with the effort that that you have been making towards towards identifying the issues at the site, identifying a path forward to, to clean up and This presentation highlights that you have a pathway identified moving forward. 
That was echoed by DEC Commissioner Jason Bruni, who told his Canadian counterparts that responsible mining is important to his boss. I know on behalf of Governor Dunleavy, this is a very large priority for us, and it's one that uh, we take very seriously and have a number of meetings with our colleagues from BC, and we appreciate that relationship. Absent from the call were any representatives from Southeast Alaska's tribes or Canada's First Nations. Both have been critical of the pace of cleaning up abandoned mines and continued permitting of new ones they say could foul salmon habitat that's both a critical source of food and income. Conservationists and tribes released a joint statement less than an hour after the meeting criticizing the lack of commitments offered by either side. Um, We didn't learn anything new whatsoever. That's Chris Zimmer of Rivers Without Borders in Juneau. He told Coast Alaska there was a lot of technical discussion, but little policy direction. That's all we heard. What we wanted to hear was stuff about next steps and commitments and not essentially a rehash of what we already know. The meeting comes a few weeks after the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights agreed to hear a petition from Southeast Alaska tribes asking it to investigate Canadian mines in transboundary watersheds. That won't be a swift process. The Canadian government isn't expected to reply to the petition until later this summer. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. The Rasmussen Foundation named Juno writer Ernestine Hayes its 2021 Distinguished Artist on Friday. As KTOO's Bridget Dowd reports, the achievement represents a lifetime of creative excellence and outstanding contribution to Alaska's arts and culture. Emotions ran high as people gathered on Zoom for a virtual ceremony on Friday. Hayes was selected by a panel of Alaska artists and art experts who helped the foundation choose from a group of nominees each year. Hayes held back tears as she talked about being marginalized as a young girl in territorial Alaska. This life pattern continued throughout my childhood, throughout my years in California, and throughout my life after I returned. I came to accept exclusion as a feature of my life path. In her writing, Hayes explores the complexities of Indigenous identity. In one of her books, Blonde Indian, an Alaska Native memoir, Hayes shares her personal journey of feeling alienated from Alaska Native and Euro-American communities. She says the Rasmussen Foundation Award overwhelms her. You have given me a gift that fulfills the deep need I've lived with since I was that marginalized little girl. I feel your acceptance. I feel accepted. Gonna cheese. Gonna cheese. The Distinguished Artist Award includes a $40,000 prize, which Hayes says is much needed, as her home burned down three years ago. She says it's been a long, challenging time full of unexpected costs and difficult decisions to repair the home. I've now gone all in with all my savings, all my retirement, all my energy, and all the hope I could still muster. As you can imagine, I can't describe the relief that your generosity has brought to my worries. The celebration featured a performance by Hune Lance Twitchell, a video by Pat Race, and remarks from Joy Harjo, the first Native American United States Poet Laureate. In the video, Hayes said any recognition she receives does not belong to her alone, but to Klingit people. That was Bridget Dowd in Juno. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.